gospel according to Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 23. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who brings, who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon. Now you know that I wasn't making things up when I told you uh, for a couple of years that we are going to be moving quite a bit uh, in the season of displacement. And I think the thing that we have to remember in this time of uh, changes and, and feeling uncomfortable and feeling frustrated is that the Israelites learned some, some things about God that they couldn't have learned in the desert. You have to think about that. That they experienced the parting of the sea, that they experienced manna, the pillar of, of fire and cloud. There are certain things that I think the Lord is gonna teach us in this season of displacement, and it's gonna be uncomfortable. But Lord is, is revealing certain things to us, and we need to be open to that. So let's get beyond the, the initial kind of reactions of, Ugh, like, again? Like, are we doing this again? And, and start cultivating a heart that says, Lord, what is it that you long to show to us in this time as a community? So yesterday I received word from uh, Anthony Brown that he has been feeling unwell uh, unfortunately, once again, his blood pressure is not at a good place, and it looks like he'll have to wait until the end of this coming week uh, to see his doctor. And I'd like to uh, encourage all of us to be praying for him and Helen. I've asked him to rest as well and do uh, what he's able to do uh, to recover uh, for now, as I've said, what we can do is to be praying. So can we take this time to pray for him? Living God, we ask for your peace in Anthony's heart. We ask for your protection over his body. We ask for your healing, uh, particularly as it relates to his blood pressure and all that's causing it. We ask for your healing hand. 
We ask for your strength and wisdom on the part of Helen as she seeks to be beside him and support in his recovery. We place Anthony in your hands. In Christ's name, amen. So it's been, I've been counting, and it's been 21 months and 10 days since I last took part in the Lord's Supper with you all in person. So that's not counting all of those online things that we've done, not that those can be discounted. And it's been far too long. I've prayed for for this day. I've longed for this day. And it's finally here, and I'm so glad to be able to break bread with you together. And this afternoon, I'd like to take a few minutes to reflect on the meaning and implication of what it means to break bread together, partaking in the Lord's Supper. I often hear this refrain, the world is so broken, is there any hope? Or in the words of the disciples, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Or in the words of the psalmist, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? There are many moments and situations that make us wonder and question whether God is with us, whether he's truly with us. And it is precisely to those who are feeling lost, hopeless, and forgotten that Jesus invites to his table. His table is a reminder that we are not alone. It's a reminder that God has not abandoned us. It's a reminder of the deep mystery of the cross that even in the most darkest moments, even when it seems evil has triumphed and death reigns, God is present. God is at work. God is with us. His table is a reminder of those truths. So as you take part in the Lord's Supper, may I encourage you to come just as you are. This table is not for those who have impressed God. This table is for those who are thirsty, hungry, hurting, seeking, yearning, and needing. It's for those who are crying out, how long, O Lord? Jesus will meet you here. And as you partake, you will notice that others are present at his table. Do you remember the the very first Lord's Supper? Do you know who took part in that? Judas Iscariot, a disciple who swindled money and betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Peter, a disciple who vocally announced his allegiance to Jesus Christ, but would deny him multiple times just as vehemently. Matthew, a tax collector who stood with the oppressors. Simon, a zealot who stood on the polar opposite opposite end of the political spectrum in relation to Matthew. Disciples who argued who would be the greatest even at that meal. Disciples who dozed off in prayer. Disciples who who asked for fire to come down from heaven to destroy an entire village. These were the attendants of the Lord's first supper. 
the table of Jesus is wide enough to sit people who we might not be comfortable with or even like. It's a table that makes us wonder, really, Jesus? Really? You're going to let that person be part of this meal? Do you know what political stance that person has? Jesus, you know that she's a hypocrite, right? His table reminds us that his love for the world is far wider than what we're comfortable with. His table reminds us of the scandalous and outrageous grace. None of us were invited to this table because of what we had done or because we're good or how presentable we come across. It's by grace and grace alone. Last but not least, as we partake, we are reminded of the most central reality that holds this entire universe together, the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. The bread and, and cup point to the body and blood of Jesus Christ given and shed for you. The bread and cup point to something more than religion and rites. It points to the shocking news that the God of the universe came down, all the way down to carry our sins to the cross, to die the death that we deserve. Soren Kierkegaard puts it this way, God suffers all things. He endures all things, is tried in all things, hungers in the desert, thirsts in his agonies, is forsaken in death, and become, became absolutely e the equal of the lowliest of human beings in order that we might have life, in order for this world to be renewed. As some of you know, I've lived a very unusual life. I've moved over 30 times. I'm hoping that this most recent one to Burnaby will be it for us for some time, but you never know, right? <laughs> One of my earliest childhood dreams was to become the owner of a peanut butter company. It was birthed out of a, of a painful experience of growing up very poor. My parents would save uh, to, for, for a month to treat us to a container of peanut butter. This would happen like once a month, and sometimes I would just take that and consume half of it, and, and we'll get whooped <laughs> for sure. But, you know, it was, it was to the delight of the family that we would save up and, and, and eat that. And so that got me thinking. I was like, hmm, so if people save for a month to get a hold of this container of awesomeness, you know, and if I were to own a company that sells that, like we, our family, wouldn't have to move from home to home. We would be okay. As I grew older, I left behind that naive idea and progress to something more esteemed. I would become a doctor. Not only would I help people, but I would be able to make more than enough to provide for my family and our relatives. And I could even go into these like medical missions, right? Very cool. But God had other plans. It was at the Lord's Supper 26 and a half years ago in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. It wasn't anything extraordinary. It was rather a very boring service, I remember. And I was taking part in, this, in the Lord's Supper 
and God challenged me with two significant questions in my life. Justin, who do you trust with your life? Your plans? And second, Justin, what's your greatest joy? It was as if God was whispering to me, my greatest joy is to see people come to my table. My joy is seeing people made alive by the love of my son, Jesus Christ. What is your greatest joy? At that table, I made what others considered a very terrible career decision in obedience to a call. I committed my life to pastoral ministry at grade 11 in high school. And now instead of peanut butter, I get to distribute bread and share a cup with you all at least once a month. So what's the point of the story? Is it to challenge you to make some terrible career decisions? I hope not. It's to encourage you to consider the question, what is your greatest joy? For us who have experienced the love of Jesus, our greatest joy should be to see others come to this table, to share in the scandalous, outrageous grace of Jesus Christ. There is more to life than peanut butter. His table reminds us that God is with us even in the most darkest places. His table reminds us that we could come just as we are. No need for any spiritual cosmetics. No need to pretend like you are someone else. Just come as you are, needing, hungry, thirsty, crying. His table is wide enough to sit people who we might not be comfortable with. In fact, at his table, we are being formed to welcome and love others just as Jesus did. And last but not least, his table reminds us of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, the source of our greatest joy. Friends, will you join me in prayer? Come, Holy Spirit, give us the eyes and ears to see and hear Jesus at your table. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.